Thank you for tuning into White Centipede Noise Podcast. Please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. This podcast is made possible by viewer and listener support. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise. White Centipede Noise is a label and mail order based in Germany, releasing top quality noise on tape, CD, and vinyl. White Centipede Noise is also the premier EU-based distributor of international noise. Visit whitecentipedenoise.com to see available label releases and weekly distro updates. Welcome to White Centipede Noise Podcast. My name is Oscar Brummel. Today joining me is a guy who does very, very progressive power electronics and death industrial and is also the premier chief audio engineer of the noise scene at the at the current time. Please welcome Grant Richardson of Nod and Hex Audio Lathes. Or Hex Lathes? My son, did I miss Hex lathes is like the label that kind of started with lathe cutting, and now I'm like using uh, Hex Audio Labs as like an all-encompassing business okay. for, for okay. audio endeavors. Okay, cool, awesome. Well, uh, good morning. Thank you for being with me on this strange day. Good morning. Um, <laughs> greetings to my hometown. It's cool to be in contact with someone in Minneapolis. Um, so right off the bat, your, uh, your power, your power electronics industrial project nod. I saw its first iterations probably about 10 years ago or more, you know, when, when, when we were both playing a lot of shows in Minneapolis, um, and it's progressed a lot since then and, and, and evolved a lot. Can you tell me a bit about the project and its, and its progression from how it started out and to what it is now? Um, yeah, I guess it was my, it would not would have been my first solo, um, live and recording endeavor in noise. Um, and at that time I was way more interested in playing raw, uh, power electronics, high energy. I think my first few release, uh, releases, I like have a harsh, like harsh noise releases. And like, I, I did a mm -hmm. wall mini CD that I'm not proud of, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I think I was just messing around when I first started and I, and I latched onto something and I, and I went forward and 
progression beyond that, I think, is just doing what I want to hear, you know? Right. Well, I don't really know about your, your musical background, but the beginning, I felt like, had really strong punk power violence kind of roots. And now, and this, you know, it was also reflected in the sound. Like you said, it was very high energy, very raw, very urgent. Um, whereas Nod now is very, very crafted. Um, I don't want to say subdued, but very, very lush in production. Very, very fine-tuned. Um, what were your what were your musical roots that kind of got you into noise and, and power electronics in the first place? Um, you you nailed it with uh, power violence. I think uh, man, I had bought Thoughtless by Nana's the Bastard at Extreme Noise. And I was like, oh, cool. Punks can make chirpy sounds. And, uh, <laughs> and it's cool. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, my, the, my, my intro to wanting to play noise was, I guess, realizing that, uh, all the, the weird bastard noise oscillators were like, people thought that people thought that was cool. And I was like, yeah, Shit. yeah. Move. How does that transition? I mean, how does that blend work? Because I think that somehow men is the bastard and bastard noise are like the, the gateway drug for a lot of people in the punk scene. And then, you know, it leads them to like Merzbau. I mean, there's often not a lot of crossover, but when that link happens for a lot of people, it becomes a very obvious gateway. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know my question yeah. is, I guess, but I mean, it's uh, it's 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 fascinating because I think everyone else, every everyone has their own kind of uh, gateway, like I say, to noise and power electronics, and that's a very very strong one. That's a very very powerful one because that's really brought in a lot of people, and that's a band that still holds a lot of weight and has so much respect. And I don't even really know much about their. I don't really know much about them as Man as a Bastard. Right. Like, I don't really know their music in that context, but. See, I know I know Man is the Bastard way way more than um, than Bastard Noise, right? That's yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, and 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 they're huge, right? In 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 that world of people who follow power violence, they're like they're they're huge, right? I mean, they're yeah, very, they're very they're kind of founders of um, yeah. you know a geographical scene situation. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're they're highly respected there for sure. And they've somehow with us. No, no, by no means a, a mainstream genre, but by with a wider genre, they have the ability to capture, I think, a lot of ears and channel a lot of people towards noise. And I think a lot of people come from that background, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I mean, so when I first heard that stuff, I, I was already, like, interested in, I guess, sound design, for lack of a better term, not knowing that's what mm -hmm. I was interested in at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I was into synth sounds and, and stuff without being really hands-on with them. Mm -hmm. um, but once I, like I said, when I, I bought that Th Thoughtless LP, uh, I was like, oh, you can be, a, like one of the members of the band can can be a noise person. And that's, you know, not long after I played noise in a sludge band. Um, right. Endless Bummer. Yeah, Endless Bummer. So I was a I played noise in a 
otherwise traditionally instrumented uh, heavy doom band. Was that pre-Nod? I remember uh, that band. Was that yeah, that was, that, that was pre-Nod. So, my yeah, my first live uh, noise performances would have been playing in that band. Um, yeah. As a just pure noise, you know. I remember those. Yeah, I remember that. Super, super loud, crazy loud. <laughs> yeah. There's some there's some stories. Uh, I live with Nate, who was in that band right now. And we were, oh. we were reminiscing of one time we we had band practice and um, we were really loud even in band practice to the point where uh, a cop came to the house while we were in the basement uh-huh. and um, some one of our roommates let him in and he came down in the basement and uh, there was paraphernalia strewn about and uh, you know things and he, he was just like hey, hey you're not in trouble you guys are so loud we could hear you from like I can hear you from blocks away. I play music, and like you know, he he is hanging out for like fifteen minutes. He tried to play Nate's Whoa. guitar uh, to show us a riff, but he, he it was all out of tune, or detuned, and he was like, right, yeah. "If I have to come back here and what kind of riff was he trying to play?" Like, uh, like he got one note in, and it was like tuned to A, <laughs> and he's like, "If I have to come back here, and this thing's still out of tune, I'm taking you in." Uh, uh, but yeah, that band was fun. And was that the rat hole? Cause we've talked about the rat hole a bit on previous episodes and you lived there. Was that at that time you were looking at the that rat hole? That would have been this, that would have been before that would have been, I was living on third and third, uh, third Avenue and 33rd street. Okay. Um, at like a, uh, punk house. Right. But, um, and then you moved to the rat hole, which for a while was also one of the main places that noise shows were happening in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Otherwise a punk house Were you, you, you were probably the one responsible for setting up those shows and making that possible. Is that correct? Or were there other people involved um, in that? Well, so when we moved in there, um, along the, the original roommates, uh, included, uh, Shane and Jeremy from monsters of pot. That's right. And so Shane was a huge booking force of noise. Right. And he moved to Nebraska, and that's kind of when I took over the reins as far as uh, booking noise shows at the house. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. while he was okay. living there, he was that was that was his deal for sure. Okay, I forgot he lived there. Yeah, yeah. Also a member of Endless Bummer. Coming March twelfth in Leiden, Netherlands, Charnel Ground presents Crude Transmissions Festival of Noise and Heavy Electronics, featuring Wince, Coma Cluster, Misere, Knifed Out Existence, Vincent Dallas, Moosehead. Uitgeschackled, O Rettel Rettel, Death Mask, and Hernedod. Also screening Tights Worship, Inside of the Practices of the Rita, a film by Mike McKinley. There will be a large White Centipede Noise merch table, as well as from Records and Things and The Tide of the End. March 12th at Resistor in Leiden. Four o'clock, eight euros entry. So, with Nod, in the past several years, you've really refined that sound and concept and you know it's been like i said several years since you've really honed that in but particularly last or i think the album from 2019 or is it 2020 i'm, I'm i might be mistaken but the the album subterranean rights yeah i have a hard time remembering when i since i worked on that for so long it was 20 yeah that was 2020 yeah subterranean rights it came out 
in 2020 on Cloister. Right. And yeah, yeah. Cloister Malignant. And Malignant. Yeah. Um, what was, how, tell us about that recording process. What went in, into that album? How was, <laughs> what was the concept behind that album? Um, so I like to explore subterranean spaces, uh, extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. Um, you have a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of an, definitely an obsession. And, mm -hmm. uh, I'll, um, I guess the, the idea behind that was to exploit the acoustic properties of a lot of the spaces, mm -hmm. um, in a way that was predictable and controllable, mm -hmm. like you using it as a studio, essentially, um, mm -hmm. unique, unique spaces, but also like getting in the mindset of like where I am. Uh, yeah. so most of the, most of that was just recording without, um, composing a lot mm -hmm. of sounds and then I started composing and then I go back and track and, and build, build from there. So when you say subterranean spaces, what specifically are you talking about? Uh, sewers and any tunnel that hang that's below ground. <laughs> uh, but what's your process of being down in there? You're in essentially wet, dark spaces full of water and not just water, right? Am I assuming correctly that there's also waste and, and sewage? Yeah. Depending on where, um, that's more like not the spot you hang out. Uh, yeah. but it's, you know, there's a means to an ends, you know, to navigate from one location to another, you might have to traverse something gross. Yeah. But what are those recording sessions like? Do you find a spot down there with some, is there a lot of room there? Do you have the ability to set up equipment? Are you there for a long period of time? Um, what kind of, what kind of risks are there of you being discovered? How loud are you being? Um, so in the recording end of things, I'm, I have pretty limited spaces that I go to because those areas are not quiet. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, if I'm just going around, I always bring recorder with me or, or something just with that, if I'm not planning on doing anything, but, um, the majority of the spaces, however cool they are acoustically, they're not, um, they're not quiet. So it, it would be really hard to spend any time in there. So there's mm -hmm. a select few quiet spaces that are general, like that are large enough to have cool sounds or they're long. So I, I have a few favorites, um, mm -hmm. that sound great. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. usually if I'm going to actually do something with, uh, something substantial, um, it's very planned out because I have to mm -hmm. bring power lights, um, plan entrance, uh, entrance and at, you know, someplace. Yeah. yeah. Are you bringing a generator down there? No. Um, all battery packs, mm -hmm. like homemade battery, um, battery supplies. Mm -hmm. And are you traveling around there like in a canoe or are you walking? Both. There's one of my, one of the places that I like to go to specifically is I generally boat in, mm -hmm. but, um, m most can be accessed, you know, other ways. And then there's, you know, 
even the places that you would boat into, there's walkable, you know, you can get out and walk. Yeah. And then, so when you're set up in there, do you set up speakers that you, I mean, I know you record sounds in there, but are you, are you also amplifying the sounds and recording them from a speaker in, yeah, in that absolutely. space? Absolutely. I have, um, I have a large, I have a couple of large battery powered, um, speakers, uh, that I got specifically for that. One is, a uh, like, you know, those, the smaller JBL Bluetooth speakers, I got, you know, the, one yeah. of the party box, uh, they're great. <laughs> they, the batteries last about 12 hours. They're loud. Wow. They carry a lot of bass. They're huge. Yeah. Um, they don't fit in any normal backpack I have. So I yeah. have a, like a duffel bag just for it, but, um, and they're heavy, but, uh, they're wow. great. It's a little, it's a PA yeah. and in those spaces, there's no, there's no, nothing to absorb all that sound. Cause the yeah. majority of it, specifically talking about like a concrete space, you don't need a lot of volume for it to really resonate. Right. Wow. And you crank it pretty loud down there. That's that that you think it could be, could be heard. Oh yeah. I come on the street. I, I hope, <laughs> I hope someone walks by and hears some, like, I think about that all the time. I hope someone yeah. hears this like synth drone emanating from a sewer cat, like, like a manhole covers, just like some ominous, <laughs> I, I hope. <laughs> wow. And then are you, you said you're composing, are you doing like vocals and, and are you doing like, single layers for multi-tracking that you then later assemble? Are you doing actual mixing down there? Are you doing yeah. any sort of? Absolutely doing like multi-tracking, but I don't, yeah. um, it's usually with, um, I do all the mix, all the mixing is happening at home. Right. Uh, okay. but I'm, you know, it's like, I might obsess over something and I'm like, I need this synth sound and I may have patched that synth in, but I, I won't, record it until I'm down that, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, I've, I figured out the parts that I want, where I want them mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, and then a lot of the assembly is done, you know, at home in a, in a DAW cause mm -hmm. that's, that's my background recording. Yep. So mm -hmm. do you do that alone? Do you ever have anyone with you that helps out? Um, yeah, I've had, I've had a few people come help, help, uh, help do things. Um, my friend Ian and da Dan came and helped me with some camera stuff. Um, wow. um, but usually it's usually I'm, I'm kind of the a lone wolf in the, in that zone yeah. for sure. It's probably easier. I suppose it's probably easier to just keep, I mean, you have to be careful also. I'm sure. I mean, it's probably easier to do that when you're alone yeah. than trying to initiate someone else and make sure they follow the, the plan. Right. Another thing is, is a lot of, a lot of the spaces I go to, I record impulse responses. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're familiar with those. Yeah. Um, Can you tell the folks what that is? If they yeah, are? yeah, yeah. Um, an impulse response is, um, like, uh, a, a short, a sh you, you create a short impulse in a room, like, uh, for instance, a balloon popping or a fire firework. Um, and then what you're doing is recording the resonance of the space. Um, you know, a hand clap in a, in a stairwell is a good example of that. You know, mm -hmm. you have a recorder, you clap your hands and you hear the space echo. Um, 
well, through the process of convolution, you can recreate um, the properties of that space uh, and mm -hmm. with that decay time uh, relatively accurately. But it's really great to, you know, you can bring home this space and, and mess around with it later. Um, yeah. But, but to bring that to having someone else, I've, I've recorded those with other people, but, you know, mm -hmm. any sound can ruin the purity of the decay time, like a, right. a joint cracking, you know, a sniffle, anything. So it's like, you got to yeah. leave while I do this uh, yeah. type quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So,
your core sound is very death industrial oriented and this album has been recorded purely in sewers do you feel like that's a concept that you're gonna explore further is that something you feel like you've exhausted well no i'm definitely doing more of that um <laughs> i mean i'm i'm in the middle of a record now um and it's going slow just because i'm i'm really busy and and i kind of yeah. i kind of obsess over it for a little while and mm -hmm. that's all i want to do and right now it's on the back burner because i just have so much on my plate mm -hmm. but um exploring those spaces is something i do regularly whether or not i'm try you know trying to record a record yeah so it's always there okay. um, and i have you know i have i have pretty much have a a record completed right now for the most part that's you know relatively i mean it's the same vibe it's like the psychedelic half sister of subterranean rights for lack of a better uh <laughs> uh term but cool do you have any other sort of concepts uh, in line with that that you want to explore in the future? Yeah, I sort of. I mean, um, you're, very, you're very, very. I mean, we're going to talk about a little bit about your extracurricular activities, but you're you're someone who has a lot of passions, hobbies, interests, skills, things like that. I I could imagine that you know you could be working on something else or have some of your other obsessions or interests tie into your work. Yeah, right now I'm else? into um, binaural, doing binaural recordings, mm -hmm. binaural impulse responses. Binaural is um, music that's recorded with a microphone that emulates the shape of your head, the spacing of your ears, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's experienced uh, by listening in headphones. Um, but I've been recording a lot of binaural stuff. Cool. Uh, I don't know exactly how that's going to tie into something, but it's gonna, um, and do you record that with like a mannequin's head? Like, is that the mannequin's head behind you that I'm seeing? Or do you record that in your own, yeah. in your own head? That's Sven. Uh, <laughs> that's a man. Yeah. I made that. That's a, yeah, that's a, it's a can binaural microphone. Uh, can you show that to us? Is that, is yeah, that possible? Yeah. So yeah, there's some microphone element. This comes out. He's he's this is he's ski mask Sven because um these are really um sensitive microphone elements and mm -hmm. they require a windscreen if you're outside. So here's uh -huh. his windscreen. <laughs> uh cool. But, but most I'm using that, um, in a place in places where I can, you know, bring that along. But, um, I have these in-ear ones that use your own mm -hmm. head and space that are really great. They sound, they sound good and they're portable. So cool. the majority of what I'm doing is in-ear microphones. Okay, cool. And so binaural is still a stereo mixdown, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's, it's a right and left that somehow emulates the, the human hearing. But does it have more place? Does it have more spatial placement on headphones than like just right and left stereo imaging, or does it have like a? Um, it, you, you don't have you don't have the vertical axes, but it's 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 really powerful in the way. Um, how can I explain it? Um, 
Have you ever, if you've ever worn VR or done like, mm-hmm. like, like worn a VR headset, your brain sort of fills in those gaps and it feels realistic for a moment. You, you feel yeah. like you're in a space and your right. brain kind of suspends its disbelief in a certain way where yeah. you kind of are, you know, you, your brain's like, okay, this is my reality. Now I have to, yeah. I have to make this real. Yeah. Binaural sort of does that with your ears. Your brain kind of makes yeah. it feel like you're in, in the environment in a really, in a really incredible way to where like, yeah. I'll be, I'll have, I'll be listening to a field recording that I recorded by in my room alone. No one's at the house. I put my headphones on and I hear like, you know, the keys jingle from my keys in the recording and I take my headphones off and I look for who's, who, who's in the room with me because it, um, yeah. you, you believe it, uh, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. 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 That's, it's a very interesting phenomenon. I don't know. I don't know much about it, but I'm, I know of just some even stereo recordings. Like I can remember actually when I first, one of my first noise recordings that I can really remember having and listening to was a tape from Peter J. Woods. And I remember listening to it on the bus somewhere and it was a tape, but I remember he had some sounds that he mixed in some way where it really felt like some of the sound was going behind my head, you know, and with just stereo, you know, no, no surround sound, of course, just, just the two channels. And I've, I've always been really fascinated by that, that mixing technique. And I have no idea how it was done, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. So props to Peter for doing that. I think he's, his, his, his sound design skills are very underrated actually. For sure. The thing about podcasts is they're really long and you may find out that your heroes have dumb voices. Why take the risk? When you read Noise Widow Reluctant Fanzine, you have total freedom to imagine that all the cool guys have calm, deep voices and a general air of insouciance. You can also draw horns and stink lines on the people you don't like with impunity. So turn off that dial, throw your computer or mobile device into the garbage, and crack open your allegedly favorite zine, Noise Widow. It's good. So you've talked about having a lot of extracurricular activities and interests, Um, you know, I've always been amazed at that since I've known you, that you're always extremely busy. You always have time to help (laughs) despite that. And you're, and you're always, you know, you've been going to school for various electrical and audio engineering, correct? Yeah. I'm back in school right now. Yeah. Um, Um, you have, you know, you're a, you're an avid gun collector and, (laughs) and shooter. You, uh, you watch goats now. So tell me, tell me about, tell me about some of the other stuff that you get into that makes up your, your daily life or your week. Oh man. Right now it's pretty vanilla. I'm, I go to, I'm in school full time. Um, no goats right now cause it's winter. Okay. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, you had some degree that you were doing um, online, I think back when it was still kind of like experimental for a, like MIT, was it? And you were... Yeah, I did an MIT um, elect, uh, electronics engineering uh, class that, so MIT kind of rolled out the, um, this program that was called, I don't know what it is now. I think it was, it was called edX. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like, it was a cool movement in that's still around um, in around 2008, which was the, co- the concept was free education, free mm-hmm. online classes with curriculum, strict curriculum, like, you know, based from these colleges. 
um, usually prestigious tech colleges like MIT, Harvard and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you, if you wanted to pay for your degree upon completion, you would receive credit. And it's was heavily discounted. It's all from home. Um, but I, yeah, I did that. It was, I was the first, I was in the first class, the first MIT class that they did. Now they, they've been doing it for, I don't know, like 12, 12 years now, maybe, but it was cool. It was, it was hard. Um, I mean, it was challenging, but it wasn't anything crazy. I took a few courses, um, with that, that would, yeah, that would have been like 2000, I want to say 2011 or 12. And that was training in electronics, not not audio, right? That was right. It's pure uh, uh, engineering, circuit circuit design. Mm -hmm. um, and I also I was also going to the Dunwoody Private School here, right around that time. Right. Uh, I think they coincide. I think I was doing both actually, and I was doing electronics at Dunwoody. Yeah, yeah. So do you do you build electronics? Do you build synthesizers? Do you build equipment? I mean, I I used to more. But I'm kind of back. Um, I'm I'm doing. I'm getting. I got a full um, paid uh, two year right now at Hennepin Tech for mm. robotics. So wow. I'm. So yeah. So it's it's really reinvigorated my. I get to learn how to solder next week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, it's gotten me really re excited on on building and mostly repairing i am a hoarder of electronics yeah and i i um have a lot of broken stuff and so yes since the beginning of the year i've really just been cruising through my hoard and and yeah repairing or upgrading or yeah or, or you do whatever. know how to solder though right you were joking oh yeah yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah. Um, okay yeah for, for yeah. years okay good yeah yeah i very much know how to solder um i i I just replaced the entire signal path uh, capacitors on a set of monitors this weekend. So, or wow. last weekend. So, killer. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to know how. I want to know if I can test out of this. Uh, <laughs> this one of these times. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, hey, f uh, fundamentals are important. Yeah. You know. So but when you know them, then you you you've been doing fundamentals for a long, long time. I mean, I know. I know you've repaired things for me back 10 plus years ago. Like, you know, you've been at it. Um, and then you also, so you also worked at a, at a Halloween props uh, factory, right? Yeah. I, did, that, did that, did that go with, did that fall apart with, with COVID or, or is that, did you, what's yeah, going on? Yeah, I, I got, um, I got a, uh, furloughed slash laid off and um spent a lot of time at home yeah uh but that was that was a cool job i did a lot of electronics and worked what on basically exactly there um i was uh, i was doing light fabrication when i started there i was doing light fabrication for um a haunted house uh prop making company and that company sort of served as a um all in one shop for the haunted house industry. So if you run a haunted house, you can buy anything you need in that department uh, from that from the company I work for. Mm -hmm. um, but I was in the 
they, they would resell other props, but I was, you know, a fabricator making, doing animatronics for, for, uh, and, and non-animatronics, just prop, props that were made in-house that were sold by that company. So like when a, when a skeleton like jumps out of a grave kind of thing? Yep. <laughs> you make those. Um, uh, we'd make a lot of the um, parts to, to make that. If you wanted to make one yourself, you could buy the mechanism that would carry mm -hmm. the skeleton out of the grave yeah. uh, from yeah. us. So that would be, yeah. you know, welding, uh, um, motor or pneumatic based little mechanisms for motion. Um, which is kind cool. of why I'm in the, I, I have some education and experience in the robotics industry, but it's, it's yeah. the same, it's the same world, but without the Halloween mask, um, yeah. what I'm going to school for now. So it's, okay. you know, it's, it's hydraulic pneumatic motor systems that are being driven by a computer based on sensor inputs, which is all haunted houses are. Cool. And are you also involved in the programming of those things in this, in the software side of it? Um, yeah, it's pretty in the haunted house world. It's really raw and simple. Uh, mm -hmm. like it can get more complicated, but yeah, I, um, towards the end of working there, I actually was doing like customer support for that company, answering emails, tech emails. And, um, yeah, I mean, handling the brunt of, of, of that. And then I, I was basically R and D for that company coming up with new, new things. What was your takeaway on the haunted house industry? <laughs> um, cause you were going to conventions there. and stuff like that, right? Like huh? that was a, you, cause you were going to conventions and things like that. You were pretty involved. Oh yeah. What's uh, that well, world like? Um, imagine a warehouse or like a convention center full of dudes and, and, and girls just full of people with, a t-shirt with t-shirts with like jack lanterns on them. They've got a Jack Skellington beanie and like, um, you know, nightmare before Christmas tattoos. And they're like yeah. really excited about skeletons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, it's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It was, it's a cool industry to be in for sure. Um, very, uh, entertaining. This episode of White Centipede Noise podcast is brought to you by Scream and Ride Distro and Absurd Exposition Label, Montreal-based source for experimental electronics, harsh noise, etc. Over 1,600 items in stock on all formats, media mail shipping to the USA and affordable international shipping. Forthcoming tapes from the Rita, Mott and Violent Shogun, Andrew Nolan Misery Engine Split, Neural, Hermit Chick White Split, and Alex York, plus an expanded double LP reissue of Merzbau's 1998 psych noise mantra Aqua Necromancer. Visit ScreamAndRide.com and or AbsurdExposition.BandCamp.com. So you were traveling a lot, you know, pre-pandemic. I know you were oftentimes hopping on flights on the weekends and going to play shows and also to see shows a lot like kind of around the, around the country. That was your, you know, you were really active getting around and traveling. Um, what are those out of town experiences like, um, for Nod, you know, like people's reception to Nod or, or what kind of, what kind of connections have you made through those, through those travels? Um, I don't know. That's probably the core of, I've always tour like t taken touring to be pretty connection building. Yeah. Um, 
So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think the majority of my like more recent travels would just be to reconnect with pre-existing friends, but inevitably you, you meet people and, and yeah. do things. But yeah, I'd and, fly, fly out on the weekend and come back red eye Monday morning and go straight yeah. to work. <laughs> and what was the reception to nod, you know, international or, or na nationally like, cause you know, you, without the, you know, I, I feel like in Minneapolis, you have such a, like a rich, people have such a rich image of you and know you so well because you, you're involved in so many different things. And also nod is that, is that the same when you go to a different city where they don't have necessarily this, like this background of your activities? Cause you know, you're so active in Minneapolis, but you know, they just, they just know you maybe for the project. And how is that, how is that usually received? You know, it's, it's, I'm always blown away. Um, not to, not to discredit or, or, um, say anything negative about playing in Minneapolis, but, um, people have seen me play you know, yeah. for the most part. So like, oh, oh not, not playing again. Cool. Sick. Uh, but I go somewhere where, you know, I don't play regularly and am received pretty well, you know? Yeah. Cool. So it's, it's rewarding and it makes me want to travel more. Yeah. You were also in Sweden, right? Yeah. For, I uh, came out for, I was just gonna come to Cloisters five year. Right. Um, as a spectator. And he set up a show on Halloween in Stockholm, uh, which was awesome. Cool. Um, played, oh, that was cool. Played with um, Suit, Crew, Incendia, and Alphermania uh, at Filkingen. So it was, mm -hmm. uh, welcome, welcome uh, yeah. to the show. Here's your pre-show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You you also worked on Jason Krumer's, a couple of his, his recent albums, the, the self-titled album and services rendered, I think as well. I'm not quite positive, but you were doing a lot of work on those. What, what were you doing on those albums? Well, with the self-titled, he came up here and recorded at, at the house, at the house here, mm -hmm. um, for a couple of days and just generated a bunch of source. And then, uh, he, he, uh, arranged that. I did a lot of were mulching. You, were, you, were you recording him? Like, were you the engineer for those sessions kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and you know, I have a bunch of synths and pedals and, and, and other equipment, um, junk metal, you know, mm -hmm. contact mics and stuff. So he was using that. And then I just, we just recorded it in, uh, into my, in my system, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for, for, for a child, I mean, he has, he has source from all over on, uh, on that record, but that was for, um, and I don't want to speak for him, but it seemed like, uh, he, it was kind of like, okay, we're going to do this. And this is my motivation factor to, to get the ball rolling mm -hmm. penciled in the dates. Now I'm mm -hmm. doing it. We're good. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and it was awesome. Uh, Jason's the shit. So, you know, cool. we're hanging out half the time. It was, it was good. Yeah. Nice. But he uh, he had me do a lot of um, um, ed just editing and um, for lack of a better term, source mulching, mulching up source. Like here's this source, which I lo I love doing that. I love mm -hmm. okay. I'm gonna make this completely different sound out of what you've given me based mm -hmm. on some less like 
less here's your creative freedom to create the sound more here's your technical box and i want yeah. this sound you know i want this yeah. idea to be yeah so i'm working within um the confines of of uh you know specs or whatever you yeah. want to call them yeah yeah um so that was more the services i rendered for services rendered sure. um and then i mixed one of the tracks um mm -hmm. did the did the mix on it and when you say mulching the source what are what kind of processing are you doing what's your what are your techniques i mean uh like you know just shifting running it through different effects a lot of times mm -hmm. i'll for a lot of if i want it i did a lot of like at least for my own work, if I want to take some sound and make a ambient low frequency bed, I might, I might play it at half speed, run it through a bunch of reverb and then distortion and then reverb again. And then it's this, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that, just completely sure. morphing a sound into, you know, I want a low rumble or I want yeah. a shimmer synth sound you know mm -hmm. and 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 going through whatever processes to get to that sound yeah but using using specific source um okay not just cool. anything you know using yeah. this is the source that we're using for this type type thing did you take them to any spaces like any any of your your underground spaces or any uh, reverb special rooms i yeah i actually like I like, did you, have you, I mean, you're from here. Do you know those big domes on um, 94 and Dowling in North? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We went, we went in there. Cool. Um, I've never been in there. They're going to tear them down soon. Oh. The city owns them. But they're, they're insane. It's insane. It's insane. You're in a, you're in a concrete semi-sphere. That's wow. hundreds of feet of cross. It's completely wow. reflective. It's over 30 seconds reverb time. It's insane. Wow. <laughs> uh, That's... So I, I was like, We're, you're, you're going to these. I think he was like, what the hell? And then he was like, wow. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we, we went to the, I love bringing people who are, you know, in town for a moment that yeah. are even vaguely interested in weird sounds. So, yeah. you know, all the noise homies that I can, you know, you bring yeah. there and, yeah. It's always mind blowing. People are always just like floored at the this space. Sick. Yeah, you well, told me about that actually. When I was when I visited last was the first time I became really aware of it and you were like it was a really cold winter and you were like, Yeah, you gotta go down there and you gotta drive in and then park and like make sure no one sees you and then you go in this door and I was <laughs> I was just like I was like alone with Pasha and I was like we actually drove down there and I was like, I don't really know what which place he's talking about and I don't know if I I don't know if I'm like have the have the guts to just like break into one of these giant semi spheres without grand. <laughs> it's it's gone through so many um, changes as far as like its security level mm -hmm. to where it's just it's the wild west now, and it's like yeah. there's like sketchy people hanging out there, and like it's all yeah. sorts of like reckless lawlessness. It's awesome. Wow. Wow. <laughs> As I said in the intro, you've kind of become the the premier audio engineer and mastering engineer in noise in the past few years. You have been doing 
an insane amount of mastering jobs for noise releases, both big and small in terms of, you know, incapacitance reissues and things like that to, um, you know, someone wants their short thing for a taper for the band camp master. You, you've been doing that too. I mean, your name has been, been around on so many releases in the past few years. How has, how did you get into doing mastering like that? And how has, how has your process and journey with mastering also evolved? Um, I, you know, I don't know what, I never thought I'd be mastering cause I always, I, I had toured some mastering facilities a while ago, like a decade ago. And I was blown away by the, um, the precision, you know, mm -hmm. it's intimidating. You go into one of those mass, like a really nice mastering control room and it's like, wow, uh, the level of, of care and and subtle changes this person is making are undetectable by me you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, at that at that point in my my life but i so my like audio engineering life comes from recording bands mm -hmm. and dealing with the bands and you know in the in in the diy self-release demo world there there's no, a mastering engineer is like, you know, this concept that's, you know, removed from, from what I'm doing here in my DIY world. It's that's for, you know, big production. Uh, and that's the idea that I sort of maintain, but I, so I, I'm, I'm mixing for people and sort of wearing two hats where I, I wouldn't have considered what I was doing, um, you know, a couple decades ago as truly mastering, but I'm doing the best that I could as a mixing engineer, uh, sure. in that world. Um, but I, yeah, I had mastered some, some things back here and there whenever I got the chance, but I never put myself out there as, I think I did that. I, did I technically master the grain, that grain belt CD? Yeah, you did. I think it, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Sam threw me a couple things. He threw me, um, like, um, the cherry point misery guts disc right. to do the remaster that back when that came out, um, couple, a couple things here and there, mostly it would just be for, for friends. They're mm -hmm. like, Oh, you have a, you have an ear. This is, they come over to the, to the house and they're yeah. like, let's use your studio and like use your system and listen to these tracks on a studio monitors, you know? Yeah. And I think just being in that world uh frequently enough kind of led me to do yeah. more and more this is a really maybe dumb sounding question but i think it's important i think i think you can give a lot of game out right now and a lot of great information that a lot of people are wondering about what exactly is mastering uh so i guess traditionally the concept of mastering is preparing um, preparing audio material for its final destination in the best shape that you can get it in. Uh, what a mastering engineer is actually going to do is going to be up to the engineer and the client. So maybe the client is like, you know, you know, traditionally 
I'm done with it. Traditionally, it's like, you know, the mixing engineer would be done with a mix. The mix is as good as he can get it. Let's send it off to the mastering engineer to a little column A, polish it up and make it sound a little sweeter if that's what we want. Mm -hmm. And B, prepare it for CD, streaming, uh, vinyl, cassette, etc. cetera, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, based on those formats requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the general term that gets thrown around the most about mastering, in my experience, is they is making it sound good, making mm -hmm. it sound better. Mm -hmm. um, and so I get people who want both or one or the other. So some people are like, this is how it should sound. Yeah. We're going to, this is, but this is going to go on vinyl. Yeah. So you need to prepare it for vinyl, you know, and I'm, right. I'm not, I'm not sonically sweetening it. I'm just doing yeah. the technical, you know, the things that I think will make it transferred to vinyl the best. Yeah. Other people, they're like, do your thing, man. Like, let's make it sound sick, you know? Yeah. So it's in, in my definition, it's, it's, it could be either, um, it's, you know, polishing a mix mm -hmm. and preparing it. If, you know, if that's what's desired and preparing it for its, it's, it's in its best shape to go out into the world, uh, yeah. on whatever format. And you're always receiving just the stereo mix, right? You're not receiving different elements. Um, like that different would be mixing. Right, exactly. So that's, uh, in my that's, opinion, that's the difference. I think yeah. uh, would be good to. So maybe... I do mix. I do mix yeah. for people, um, right. not as often as I'd like to, honestly, because that's really my background. Um, mm -hmm. Is you know full band, massive multi-track, um, mm -hmm. rec tracking, recording, uh, and mixing. Uh, right. And I still, I don't have like my house now isn't really well set up uh, as a as a studio that can accommodate a, a band. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it, it is, but I, the basement sounds bad, and there's a lot of there's a lot of extra work on my end because it's not set up as a permanent studio. So sure. I really, in the last since I pretty much since I've lived here, I've only recorded um, select few bands that I mm -hmm. the bands that I really 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 want to work with. Yeah, uh, but I want to mix. I love mixing. Yeah. that's yeah. A quick question around vinyl for me to clear this up, and I think maybe for other people. When you when you talk about mastering vinyl, is what you are doing is that is that truly mastering or is that like pre-mastering? Because my understanding was that the, the the actual mastering is done as the person is cutting the record, and and maybe like the, the mastering that it, like a mastering engineer like you would do is to kind of get it close as close as possible to what they. Right. Can, can work with best or how to, what's what is that process like can you demystify so, that a little bit yeah the term mastering is just used tw in two different ways um mm -hmm. disc mastering would be cutting a lacquer or direct to metal if it's direct metal right um that would be pre preparing the master you know for pressing um mm -hmm. uh those like lacquer, I'm going to refer to them as lacquer cutters. Lacquer cutters want a mastered, a professionally mastered version of the material specifically set up for vinyl. So they have to do less. And I mean, not just that they want it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of issues with the, the frequency domain that uh, vinyl 
its limitations mm-hmm. um, that need to need to be thought of. High high frequency and low frequencies, phase right. issues. Yeah. Um, you know, o- over over compression and limiting too loud, like yeah. loud file. They want that stuff set up for them. Right. By some by someone. So they're it's both mastering. Yeah. I am mastering for vinyl. Yes. They're doing vinyl mastering. Uh, sure. You know. Sure. Those the people that do that vinyl cutting have the skills and knowledge to to do that. But generally, they're not going back and forth with the artist right. to get a a product that everyone agrees on is is good. Right. Um, right. They're, they're especially if you're going with like one of the more kind of factory style pressing plants that most people can af- are using and can afford. I assume they're kind of they have a probably some sort of presets that they know kind of yep. make sure their their technical uh, specs are correct and then they probably cut whatever comes out of that right yep yeah yeah like larger play I don't know I don't know now who's um, I we I brought up Sam was over here last night we were listening Sam from phage we were listening to some test mm-hmm. cuts at the house um, to see you know and I've been I've been pretty impressed with some of the test cuts I've been listening to lately. Yeah. For, yeah. They've been sounding like, you know, really good. So whoever is cutting those, he's got a specific uh, engineer that the pressing plant he goes to sends them to that he prefers. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that studio or whatever is, is, has been doing a, a really good job. Cool. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It does. When you are mastering someone's, work and you know you're in some way imparting you know of course you're doing a technical job but it's like you're still operating in subjective world so you know you have still your ear is still a part of it and your own you know tastes or, or ideas are a part of it have you ever had um anyone like not be happy with the direction you're going and want something different or 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 take it take it back the the mastering job or anything like that um i uh yeah i mean i've had people say oh whoa slow down on the low end or something like that um for sure and i actually i frankly wish i would get more of that i get i get a lot of like sounds good man yeah. you're good yeah uh, and and that, that if you're ha- you know the end i want to you know that's the goal right right but um uh i always tell people to never hesitate to have me change anything because right. that's the, the point right uh uh so yeah no i've definitely I, I i think i i know the people that i work with frequently enough to have communication with them in a, you know in a way where I, you know i know if we're not going to specify stuff i know i can usually guess pretty well what they want out of out of this mm-hmm. um and i also i also get a lot of trust from people that I've worked yeah. with before. Cause they're like, you, you did this other thing really yeah. great. Yeah. So I'm just going to trust you. Yeah. Do you have any advice to, to artists giving you material or things that you wish people knew more about or knew more in, in their recording or mixing process to, to get better sounding audio or at least prepare y- you for what you need to do more with it? Yeah, I guess the biggest thing would be, you know, a little bit of headroom. Like, 
in in the harsh notice specific world, yeah, everything is. I get most stuff I get is just slammed, <laughs> and people want you know they you know they want, and that's fine. That's what it's a, it's it's what the it's what the material is. But um, I, I feel like you know people might give me a really loud um, file, and um, it's technically too loud for CD. Yeah. And then, so the product that I'm going to give them to approve for CD is going to sound to them weaker sure. and quieter because it's it's not as loud. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Headroom's great. I feel like I'm waging a one-man war against uh, inner sample peaks <laughs> in CDs. And I don't think they're inherently the devil, but I think it's an under... Um, um, uh, not understood topic. Uh, what is that exactly? Um, uh, so zero decibels is the ceiling of the loudest you can make a normal digital file in the type of the type of digital files we use and put on CDs. Yeah. Zero decibels is the ceiling. It's the loudest it can technically be. Um, digital files are all zeros or ones. So if it's all ones, it's it can't be louder than uh, however many however many bits are 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 there for information. Uh, I'm mess. I just messed my thing up. Uh, so what an intersample peak is is what the playback system would see uh, as exceeding that level, even yeah. though it's technically not. So the the digital converters digital analog converters in a CD player um, playing back a uh, uh, CD with, with these inner sample peaks is going to distort. Mm -hmm. it, the converters in the CD player are now adding distortion to the CD. So you're, you're, you're getting added distortion. So if you just wanted this harsh ripping as loud as possible, cool, let the players let the end user's systems distort too. <laughs> cool. There's some other implications with CD playback with them. And it's, it's just not understood. Yeah. So I, I feel like the, the most time explaining something in mastering is me explaining what these are, the implications of writing a CD that loud and yeah. why I made the decisions that I did to yeah. reduce the volume and not include you know, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, inner sample peaks. Yeah. Do people usually get it, or they usually kind of? I mean, do they? Do they? Do, uh, they push, do you ever get pushback from it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but it's cool. I mean, like, I get it. Uh, I understand um, because it's not. Um, it's not the end of the world. Like, lots of CDs have inner sample peaks. Yeah. We're just, we're just operating in a. Uh, you know, the average sound level of a harsh noise CD exceeds anything that you can read in any sort of book about proper mastering techniques or something. It's just, it's up there. So, um, and that's okay if you want to exploit the medium, but if you want someone to listen to the CD and it sound exactly like the material you're presenting, yeah. that those, those shouldn't exist. Right. You shouldn't have them there. Yeah. Um, and some play, and you know, if, if it's really crazy, some CDs can have playback errors. And, right. and as an engineer, I don't, um, I don't want to be, uh, yeah, 
giving, you know, delivering that product. <laughs> yeah. What about just general production techniques of people? I mean, I, you use DAWs, and one thing I've been kind of aware of lately and kind of trying to, I guess, spread a little bit or at least make people aware of is just the, just the idea of audio or uh, analog to digital conversion when recording. Because I think a lot of people, it's even something I took, it took me a while to figure out that this is something that's important, like to use a proper analog inter or, you know, audio interface. I think a lot of people go straight into the, like the headphone jack or the, the, the microphone jack on the, on the laptop. Is, right. that, is that an issue? Is that, does that cause digital distortion that you can, that you can hear or, or sound, sound I mean, quality issues that you can hear? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all going to be based on the converter. Um, you'll, you get weird oscillations and, and, you know, you'll have, you'll, you'll be literally be able to hear low quality converters. Um, converters are great and they're, not, they're like now that the technology just gets better. Um, just a dedicated interface is inexpensive and yeah. it can, if you're not, if you're not accustomed or using one, it can like vastly improve, you know, quality especially if you're doing something dynamic or you or you you know have subtle quiet parts that's when you'll really hear uh good converters right the you know the difference because you can hear a bad converter you yeah. know it sounds dirty yeah yeah um and you know preamps next step would be i think preamps and converters are huge um but those are both you know in a in a in your average uh audio interface that includes decent enough preamps and, and nowadays great, con great converters. Right. I'm sure it's gotten much, much better. I think the one I'm using is probably about 10 years old, but it's pretty decent, but I'm sure the new ones that are coming out now are, are light years ahead of what they were there yeah, for, you can for spend, the price. You can spend a lot of money on them, but yeah. um, they're, you know, they just, they just get better. Cause it's, um, you know, that technology is just always improving. Yeah. It's easier to produce uh, the circuits for cheaper every year. Right. So the 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 low end quality of or the quality of low end audio interfaces is just always improving. Yeah. So even the budget ones that you can buy now are are, are great. Yeah. They're they're good. They're good quality. Yeah. Good, good enough. Do you still notice pushback or criticism against using DAWs? Like, um, like like Pro Tools. I mean, I remember back in the day before I really, I remember people used to be like, "Fuck, I don't want that Pro Tools sound." You know, like right. What's that all about? And I do think, think it's still. Do you think it's still going well, on? I, I get it. I think it's um, the I, Pro Tools definitely got a um, uh, the stigma there. I think is um, there's no more there's no more uh, talent in the artist end of things. You can fix anything in pro in post production. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, but I think that is like um, blaming a hammer for the condominium on your block. Right. You know, it's a tool. It's a tool that can be used. However, yeah. Um, I I have gripes with Pro Tools, but those aren't <laughs> the same. The, not for the same reason. Yeah. I use Pro Tools for like fifteen years exclusively. Yeah. Um, and I'll never, if I can help it, I'll never, I'll never open that program again. <laughs> what do you use now? Reaper. Okay. 
I've heard that all day Reaper. Yeah. <laughs> I, for some reason I didn't realize Reaper was available for Mac, but it is. So I was just actually looking at the other day and I, I'm going to try that out soon. Cause I've been looking, I've been using pro tools also. And I have like a 10, I have pro tools 10, which is full of glitches and bugs. It's super out of date. And like oh, half, yeah. half the lists don't load anymore, but I know from memory, like what's there. So it's definitely like sketchy. Um, I've been thinking it's, about switching to Reaper. It's, if you, if you are, um, if you're not sure, you can just pull up a Pro Tools skin theme, mm-hmm. they're called. You can go download a Pro Tools theme for Reaper, mm. and it'll emulate Pro Tools while you get your bearings. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. there's no reason not to <laughs> get yeah. it. Um, Reaper is great because it's uh, customizable. Anything that you don't like or want to see or don't want to see or want to change, you can. Cool. It's completely customizable. Um, and there's a great online, uh, community filled with resources, uh, great tutorials. Cool. Uh, it's technically, it's technically not free, but it's free. Yeah. Um, it's free to download and, and try. And, and when the ex, when the, um, when the demo period expires, uh, Reaper doesn't, the, the company doesn't cripple the software. Okay. So it continues to function. Um, and then they ask you to pay the money. Okay. You should if you if you like it. Yeah. $60, $60 for the program. Whoa, that's good. <laughs> yeah. crazy. I don't remember what Pro Tools was, but it was stupid expensive. Yeah, there's uh, also I will just say I don't want to sit here and talk about why I don't like Pro Tools forever, but um uh Reaper is so um if you don't have like a lightning fast computer and and that's an intimidating or a, you know a, a prohibitive uh issue with not running stuff pro tools might l- l- bog a computer down and 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 but Reaper runs really lightly on computers it doesn't take a lot of mm. of computing power to 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 run and and process it's it's pretty streamlined and efficient. Cool. What's uh what's hex what's your lathe label all about? Tell me about your your lathe cutter. So, um my neighbor Grant, do you I don't know if you know Graham Baldwin. Mm-hmm. He used to live I don't, um I think he's I, in Thebes. He's a, he's a, he's a guy in town. Yeah. Um, that a bunch of people know. Yeah. Uh he moved out of town and when he moved out, he had a bunch of lathes that I wasn't intending on buying, but I did uh the price was right and he he was moving um so i didn't even think i was going to dive into that that world but um but here i am uh so yeah i bought his he ran um what was it um 20 2208 records was his lathe cutting company okay i have to remember because that's his address he lives across the alley okay <laughs> or lived across the alley and i'm on you know he lived, he lived out in 2208 across the alley. Uh, I think that's 220. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Anyways, 2208 records. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. he cut, he cut lathes for, for, he had a lathe cutting service, mm-hmm. um, that he cut some noise stuff. He cut all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I just, I didn't think it, I was like, okay, yeah, I can't not buy this. And then I, started cutting and it, it's a, it was addicting and yeah. I got re- I got really into it for a few years. Cool. And, um, I had some, I had some equipment failures and some things and various setbacks and hurdles to where I'm, I'm trying to, sh- I'm trying to pivot my 
setup out of more of like a hobbyist cutting setup and into something that is actually uh, makes economic sense for a cutting service or some sort of production. Sure. Um, because it's it's in, it's incredibly uh, it it's so time consuming. Um, yeah. And there's so many things can go wrong. Everything has to be right. Yeah. At the same time, yeah, for a good cut, yeah. Um, at least with my with my setup and how it is, yeah. there's so many variables, yeah. But it's I'm, awesome. Yeah, I remember when you first got it, you told me he told you, I think, um, never, never tell anyone you have it, or never at least never agree to like do people's lathes or something like that. What have you? Whoops. <laughs> have you? Have you rethought that? I mean. Have you have you been doing lathes for other people? Because you know he, he may, basically saying that everyone's going to ask you to to do lathes. Yeah. has that been the case? I think it was like a it was like a parting piece of advice. because yeah. he he came over and, and and cut some records with me and showed me, and I just I just tried to absorb his knowledge. Yeah, um, and just listened to all of his advice. And as and you know as he's leaving, I don't remember how the conversation went, but he did mention, he said, don't let anyone know you have it. <laughs> and I, I get it because everyone wants a, everyone wants to cut and it's, you know, that could be your life. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I think there, I think there, I couldn't find a, my goal is to find a balance where I can do it and be okay with it. Not because yeah, if I have an equipment failure right now and there's a, pending orders yeah. or something yeah. like I just have to say, sorry. Um, wait time could be two years. Right. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah. uh, who knows? Yeah. Uh, just because that's where my, the, the, the level that my personal setup is at. Sure. Um, I, 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 that's an exaggeration, but sure. Have you been doing lathes for other people? Um, I've only been cutting a few things. I'm, you know, in, I mean, and I really only because I've been, you know, don't have a full-time job, uh, would be, uh, yeah, blue can, doing blue can crossing, cutting for Stefan. Okay. That was my question. Um, if, that was, cutting, if that was you. Yeah. I've been cutting those. Um, uh, but that's the only, like, um, I've cut a couple others here and there, but that's the only, um. I cut, I cut one for cloister for the five year. Mm -hmm. Um, was it that crazy trepanerings ritual one with the blood spider? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Nice. And that's where I guess working at a Halloween uh, place comes in. Cause I got to make a blood formula and killer spray it with, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, yeah. It was a one-sided, a one-sided, uh, 10 inch, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't, that's been, it's been, um, it's been something I haven't been, uh, I'm not really, I'm not like hanging up the label or anything, but, uh, it's not something I focused on and not something I have any pending material that needs to come out or anything like that. Uh, I want to, I've, I, I'm finally have a ton of blank discs and, and like ready to go, but, um, I'm, I'm back in school. Yeah. I, mastering pretty much full time yeah and and you know gotta gotta force time into it how do you get it all done how, how many hours of sleep do you get a night because you have so much <laughs> so much going on it's so, just the mastering jobs alone are insane well i don't watch movies uh -huh. 
and I don't play video games, uh-huh. and I obsess over stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I, I still feel like you must have more than you have more than twenty four hours in a day. You must have like thirty. Somehow. I wish I had thirty yeah. a day. I would. I would love that. <laughs> You know, I wish days were 30 hours long. <laughs> a question I ask everyone is what are your top five noise industrial power electronics releases of all time? Man, I'm so, I'm so bad at reaching from the, the void and narrowing down, but um, the top five records, I see all I've been doing is listening to like, what I've been mastering. Yeah. Um, that must be tough. I mean, even, even, even doing a distro, I spend most of my time, unless I get really on a different bent and like, just be like, fuck that. I spend most of my time listening to stuff that, that comes through, you know, just because I want to make, you know, I want to hear it before I, before I send it out, you know? And so it's, I can imagine doing mastering where you're really having to listen, listen, um, it's hard to have time for listening for pleasure. Yeah. I mean, lately it's like, I listen to like just chill background synth wankery to like tune out. But I mean, I got plenty of records, but, uh, uh, Progretto Mort, however you say that the Marco Corbelli is like one of, that's my favorite, like Corbelli Mm -hmm. record. I, I put that in top for sure um any anything by vivenza mm-hmm. um some brighter death now is you know had a big influence on sure. me temptations is probably my favorite mm-hmm. um I don't know. I just keep going to things that I've worked on recently instead of like things in my, well, my, ne- <laughs> my next question is uh top five of the last year. So you can, <laughs> okay. I mean, a lot of those are going to be re- reissues cause yeah. I, I've gotten to do some really cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You've had access to crazy stuff. I mean, that's, yeah. And there's crazy stuff that's not out yet. I'm sure. Too, yeah. I mean, I, so I don't, I don't want to kiss and tell about anything, yeah, but, um, yeah. uh, Evil Moisture Gack is one of those. Mm. Uh, that was awesome. That was awesome to be able to work on um, from original master cassette yeah. and and the whole that was that was cool. Um, most of the stuff that I'm excited about is you know at least that in the last year that is stuff that I've worked on because I I haven't been as in tune of other stuff. Regrettably. Well, but it's a lot of phase stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too, for sure, you, you do a ton of phase. I get but, so much. But so, so, still on your all times though. You have those. You have. Is Gak one of your all times? Is that? Um, I don't think it. I don't think, I ever thought it would be. But I, that was so awesome that it it might, um, be. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't know. Five, I don't know. Number, I don't think number that's... five all time. In the genre, man, I don't. Last one. In the genre, <laughs> like greatest, yo, I got a shout out, uh, control and natural selection. Very good. Uh, you know, for personally, you yeah, know, definitely great, great stuff. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess best wishes to Thomas and hoping him all the best for sure. battles cancer. Beside You in Strength is a benefit compilation for Thomas Garrison of Control. It features artists such as Nod, Like Weeds, Sickness, Subclinic, The Vomit Arsonist, and many, many more. All proceeds are donated to him as he fights cancer. Visit catonicstreams.bandcamp.com. That's C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C-S-T-R-E-A-M-S.bandcamp.com. And then tell me your top five of the past year. So, I mean, maybe just it's going to be things that came through you, your, your, your studio that you're working on, or if you can think of anything outside of that realm. Um, um, but new stuff, new, new projects, new, new releases. Like weeds stuff, the LP for Phage, yeah. like I, I'm loving, I'm loving the like, like new, like anything new, like weeds. I'm, I'm all about right now. Cool. I can't wait to hear that for sure. Oh. Gak, the evil moisture Gak. Um, I was really stoked about um, the Phage CD, the commuter. Um, yeah. The commuter the, the, um, right? Southeast yeah. Industrial yeah. Um, disc. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. There's like, it, um, I like, I really like that type of um, field, like obvious field recording yeah. um, work. Yeah. And that's, and and I don't think that's unique to that release, but it's so themed right. in a way that I think is super appropriate to the sounds yeah. and it's you, you, you read the titles and you're like, yep. yeah, uh, I think that release really did that, did what it sought out to do yeah. and did it really well. Um, the Serration LP on Cloister, mm -hmm. I thought was really great. Um, yeah. And this is just stuff that I've worked on cause I had so much time with that's them. legit. I mean, um, that's, there's so much um the re the regisphere double cd yeah. on phage again yeah. um i think that that's i feel like not enough people love regisphere yeah it's definitely <laughs> regisphere. yeah definitely underrated project yeah definitely. um and and i uh, having seeing that come out was, was i think it was i think it was awesome yeah. i think it's a great disc cool it's a great collection yeah, yeah. um I don't know how many that was. That was five. That's five. Yeah, that's five. We you used Gak on on all time and on new, but that's. Oh, I didn't mean to slip it into the all time, but maybe it should stay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Know. I thought that's what you meant. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. No. Well, cool. I'll, I'll 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 let you I'll let you go with that. That's that's. that's <laughs> yeah, all right. Cool. <laughs> um. So. This year. The last few years have been crazy. No one has really been able to see what's going to happen. And, you know, we've been thrown into a world of chaos, but also a world of noise. Um, this coming year is shaping up to also look very unpredictable and um, strange. But um, what do you have going on? What do you have planned this coming year in terms of your, your projects or musical and artistic activities. Um, I, I, so I'm back in school. I started school. Uh, I'm so far, it's free to me yeah. through the program I'm in. Um, so if I hate it, I'm going to leave mm -hmm. and not feel like I, uh, yeah. am out anything, right. but, um, I'm so far enjoying it. Yeah. 
And so that's going to take up a lot, you know, yeah. being a full-time student. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm kind of juggling that and trying to take mastering seriously. Um, and I still have to find a balance with my own, uh, my own creative stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause I ha- like definitely in the last year I haven't, I did a lot of recording, but I, I haven't, um, I don't want to work. I don't want to force anything out. And I only want to work on my own music when I'm obsessed and want to yeah. completely let it take over. Um, and so I have all the stuff ready to go, but it's on the back burner cause I haven't gotten to that point yeah. yet. So I will see. Yeah. Um, I think the summer looks good. I think I'll have a lot more time this summer. Hopefully. Are you going to be working um, with goats again this summer? I think so. Um, you know, the, the options there, uh, you know, it's a cool part-time gig, uh, for working with a good dude. Uh, so I'm sure he wants me to work. <laughs> he needs, he needs the help. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure I will, but yeah, I don't know. Everything's uncertain and I'm just, I'm just kind of keeping pace. Yeah. Like you always do. No, no live. I actually did play a live show last fall, mm. um, out, out of town, a couple. I played with Sam in Fargo, and then I played as right. Nod in San Francisco. But, oh, cool! But I have no, I have no, um, no out of town plans, okay. and I'm probably going to keep it that way for, for the foreseeable future. Sure. Short, short term, you know. Yeah. You know, if things come up, cool. But I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Probably chilling on that. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. To talk, yeah, thanks for having to talk me. to me. And uh, it was great to hear from you. And and thank you for sharing your wisdom, as you always do. <laughs> and uh, take care, and we'll talk soon. All right, take care, yeah. man. Thanks again for tuning into White Sampy Noise podcast. Head over to the Patreon for more, including private episodes of Noise on the Run, exclusive photos, video, and audio related to the show, and discounts at the White Sampy Noise mail order. Your support is extremely appreciated and vital to keep the show going.